In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I wonder, how do you plan to celebrate Independence Day this year? Will there be red, white, and blue in your backyard, in your neighborhood, your street? Will there be fireworks? Will, will you listen to a reading of the Declaration of Independence? Will your faith feature anyway? Will, will there be a prayer before the barbecue is shared? It's that time of year. When, when the puzzle presents itself afresh, what could it mean to be both a citizen of the United States and a citizen of heaven? Now, for some, this is an uncomplicated question. The doctrine of discovery, manifest destiny, the confidence that God is on your side, it leads some to reach for their limited edition King James Bible wrapped in the stars and stripes, printed and bound in the United States of America. Now, I was wondering just a little bit, is it irony if you have to indicate that it's ironic? <laughs> King James printed in the U.S.? For some, it's uncomplicated. But maybe that's not your cup of tea. Still, there's this long history of North American churches eager to wrap the cross in a flag. It begins in the aftermath of the American Revolution, when many churches of England in the now defunct colonies, thought by the general public to be bastions of Tory sympathizers, they rushed to put up freshly minted American flags in order that their newfound national allegiance might be on display. And with each passing and subsequent war, 1812, Civil, Spanish-American, World War I, World War II, and Korean, the swell of patriotic fervor would often well over into the aisles at church where pastors, vicars, Bishops and chaplains were more than willing to accommodate the flying of old glory without giving much thought to the particular alchemy of theology and patriotism. The book Christ Church Nashville, 1829 to 1929, it describes a scene that plays out here in this nave while Christ Church members were deployed abroad on World War I duty. Here, just a very brief excerpt of this story from that book. ...of Christ Church could have followed the threads of their lives back to their intersection within the church during 1917 and 18, they would have seen standing solidly behind them the entire membership of the parish, mobilized in prayer and effort under the leadership of Reverend Henry J. Mickle for the first six months and of the Reverend Edward E. Cobbs for the last year. They would have seen the flag of their country beside the cross in their processional and the flags of their allies swinging from the sidewalls of the nave. And they would have felt radiating from the sanctuary like current from a giant power station, a stream of energy which untiringly turned the wheels of war at home.
what does it mean to be a citizen of the new Jerusalem and a citizen of your homeland here in this world? Now, some, of course, want to keep these two as far apart as possible in the mistaken assumption that one, frankly, has very little to do with the other. No flags in churches, no prayers on football fields, no Ten Commandment monuments within 50 feet of the courthouse, no Gideons at the Holiday Inn, and certainly no Bibles in the courthouse. The ACLU works hard on this. But there are places the ACLU will not go, or at least where they haven't yet been successful. Your tax-deductible tithe. <laughs> the priest at your wedding doing the state's bidding. The dollar that changes hands with trust in God. And sessions of the state assembly that open in sectarian prayer. On Good Friday, the prayer book directs the people to pray for, quote, the President of the United States, for Congress, and for the Supreme Court. And at first glance, you could imagine the text presents them as arbiters of the will of God. But the bidding concludes with unambiguous direction for the one who would live in the world and yet not be defined by it. Quote, let us pray for those in authority that by God's help they may seek justice and truth and live in peace and concord. These prayers do not seek the triumph of Christianity. The truth of the cross and empty tomb is its own reward and universal. Rather, these prayers of the faithful seek the justice, truth, peace, and concord of the common good, a good that beckons to and provides for all, bar none. The state, this state, the, the United States, makes claims on you, makes claims on me. It makes claims on, on the lives of its citizens and, and residents. You'll be subject to the rule of law. You, you will pay taxes. You'll be identified by driver's license, passport, and social security number. You'll be a good consumer. You'll learn to be one. <laughs> you, you may agree or disagree or be indifferent to the particulars of the law. Death penalty. Speed limit. Immigration. Burial vaults. You may agree, disagree, or be indifferent, but you will submit under penalty of the law. You may also seek reform by petition, organization, vote, and representation. The work of civics instruction means to educate you on this claim and foster appreciation for it. There are saints and martyrs and feast days of the state, and you're asked to observe and venerate hoping that the law will yet produce actions that serve the common good. Now God, God through the church also makes claims on your life, yours and mine. Makes claims on the lives of the baptized and confirmed. 
Love the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Take your place at the end of the line. Give the shirt off your back when they've asked for your jacket. Walk two miles when only one was asked for. Lay down your life for another, just as Jesus laid down his life for you. The claims of God on your life, the claims of the state on your life. Are they mutually exclusive? Not always. Can they be easily and dangerously confused? Yes. Can one subsume the other? Yes. But your baptismal vows mean to provide a hedge against this. Here, if you wanted to follow along, if the rhetoric is just the, the, the single voice, singular voice is getting a little bit too monotonous, you could turn in your prayer book to page 304 and 5 as some commentary is offered on the five supplemental baptismal vows. These vows mean to provide a hedge against the possibility that the claims of the state and the claims of the church, the claims of God, might somehow be confused, conflated, or subsume one another. The baptismal vows begin with an affirmation of faith and basically say then, if this be the faith, how shall we then live? And then it provides five supplemental vows that articulate what it means to live this life in the world. If this be the faith, how shall we then live? The liturgy continues, first supplemental vows, not alone, but in community and under the apostles' teaching and faith. If this be the faith, how shall we live? Second vow, the liturgy continues, not in self-serving and common good undermining sin, but in repentance and forgiveness. If this be the faith, how shall we then live? Proclaiming the good news of God in Christ, seeking and serving Christ in all persons were the next two vows. And finally, if this be the faith, how shall we then live? Respecting the dignity of every human being, seeing in the other the image of God. Not, not God in the other, but the image of God, the hint of God, the outline, the imprint of the maker, seeing it, honoring it, hallowing it. The state would bring about devotion to the common good by the rule of law, insisting that this land will only be as good as your understanding of it and adherence to the law. God, through the church, would bring about commitment to the coming kingdom by a change of heart, by the conversion of your heart and devotion to the person of Jesus Christ. As you, as you come to appreciate the blood sacrifice made for you at Calvary, so your, willing, so your willing commitment to the secular common good comes into focus. In the late second century, a friend of a man named Diognetus, a friend who remains anonymous to history, writes Diogenes a letter in which he's seeking to describe to this friend this very strange people he's encountered called Christian. Who, who are they? What, what motivates them? Why do they do what they do? 
Listen to a short excerpt from this letter, and, and as you listen, hear the admiration that he has in his voice for this people who live with valor in the moment, but without forgetting all that is to come. Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, speech, or customs. The fact is, they nowhere settle in cities of their own. They use no special language. They cultivate no eccentric mode of life. Certainly this creed of theirs is no discovery due to some fancy or speculation of the inquisitive, nor do they, as some do, champion a doctrine of human origin. Yet they dwell in both Greek and non-Greek cities as each one's lot was cast. And they conform to the customs of the country in dress, food, and mode of life generally. The whole tenor of their way of living stamps it as worthy of admiration and as admittedly extraordinary. They reside in their respective countries, but only as pilgrims. They take part in everything as citizens and put up with everything as foreigners. Every foreign land is their home and every home a foreign land. They spend their days on earth, but hold citizenship in heaven. They obey the established laws, but in their private lives, they rise above all the laws. I wonder, can you see this with me? The love of God and the love of neighbor in Christ begets by necessity a love and desire for the common good, and in our case, the common good as lived out in this land. I say give yourself to the claims Christ has made on your life and so come to work for the common good as celebrated and rehearsed this 4th of July. But as you do this, do remember, it's a better country that is a heavenly one that our faith ancestors desired. And so God was not ashamed to be called their God. Instead, He has prepared a city, the new Jerusalem, for you and for me. Go and live now as you will live then. Stand and continue our worship of God, affirming the faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, 
of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Almighty God, giver of all good things, we thank you for the natural majesty and beauty of this land. They restore us, though we often destroy them. Heal us. We thank you for the great resources of this nation. They make us rich, though we often exploit them. Forgive us. We thank you for the men and women who have made this country strong. They are models for us, though we often fall short of them. Inspire us. We thank you for the torch of liberty which has been lit in this land. It has drawn people from every nation, though we have often hidden from its light. Enlighten us. We thank you for the faith we have inherited in all its rich variety. It sustains our life, though we have been faithless again and again. Renew us. Help us, O Lord, to finish the good work here begun. Strengthen our efforts to blot out ignorance and prejudice and to abolish poverty and crime and hasten the day when all our people with many voices in one united chorus will glorify your holy name. Amen. O judge of the nations, we remember before you with grateful hearts the men and women of our country who in the day of decision ventured much for the liberties we now enjoy. Grant that we may not rest until all the people of this land share the benefits of true freedom and gladly accept its disciplines. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, 
have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Please stand. The peace of the Lord be always with you and also with you. Peace, Eli. Great to see you, buddy. Thank you for serving today. Peace and blessings to all, especially to those who are maybe with us today for the first time. We'd love to encourage you, extend the right hand of fellowship to you. If you are in our, in our walls, in our nave for the very first time, please either use the visitor's card in the pew in front of you or maybe the QR code that's there and let us know you are here. It will enable us to reach out to you during the week and welcome you the next time you're with us. After the dismissal at this hour, there's a time of fellowship, coffee and cookies just across the way here. You could leave by either door to the to the left of the pulpit or the right of the lectern, walk across the hallway into the, the fellowship hall for that time. I encourage you to linger a few moments to renew an acquaintance or to make an old friend. A, a, a request in this next week, the General Convention of the Episcopal Church will gather in Baltimore, Maryland. It's a once every three years gathering. It was slated to gather in 2021, but was canceled because of the pandemic. It's been rescheduled and shortened for this time. Uh, there'll be three folk who worship regularly at Christ Church, um, Father Jody Howard, uh, myself, and Pete Stringer, who will be among those who represent the Diocese of Tennessee. We invite prayers for the whole church, but also particularly for the representation of this dep deputation uh, will be away between June the 7th and June the 11th. Next Sunday, uh, the, the 10th, there's, we've slated a young adult brunch for 12 noon. It will follow the time of worship. Among those dates that we're asking you to save for the future, there's a parish retreat at Nekome, a Labor Day weekend. All ages, families, singles, uh, households from out of town, households who used to be at Christ Church but have moved away. Some will be coming back for that event. Open to any and all the weekend of September 2nd through 4th. Because our prayers of the people were, uh, were set to the side for the litany for the nation, I want to name especially two individuals uh, who have lost parents in the last week. We want to pray for Roger Moore and Ken Savage, the sons of two who've died in this past year. Roger Moore's father who died is Harold Emerson Moore, Roger's father and Brian's father-in-law, and Ken's father is Russell Kenneth Savage, father of Ken, father-in-law of Kathy, and grandfather to their two children, Catherine and Sarah. We pray for the repose of the souls of Harold and Russell and for the consolation of their families. 
Also, I want to note this is the first Sunday in July, and the month of July is the one in which we will, we will bring to a close the concluding phase of the Capital Campaign for Christ Church. This is a, a campaign that has been put on hold for two years because of the pandemic, but we're now on track to break ground in late 2023 for the new building that will accommodate fellowship, youth, and outreach activities. Uh, we're we are now coming back to the congregation because of that pause, asking those who've pledged if they would consider pledging a third again to make up the difference of these past year and increasing costs. And if you didn't have a chance the first time around to participate, to come and throw your lot in with this congregation and its work, in essence, really providing for the ministry of the cathedral now and for the next hundred years. You'll find QR codes on our website that will direct you to a place where you can record a pledge. Finally, I'll note that our bishop, along with other bishops of the Episcopal Church, has asked that we begun, begin to offer again a chalice from which the people may drink. Uh, it's, the, the idea is that the decision not be made for the congregation how you will receive the sacrament, but that you be able to make the decision about whether you'll receive by intinction, ministerial intinction, or by separate bread and cup. That will look like this for the next few weeks, ever evolving. There'll be a station in the center with bread and wine, and that station will offer you a wafer that's been dipped in the wine. If you wish to receive the bread alone, as you approach, just put a hand up and so signal to the celebrant your desire for bread only, and then you, the chalice will be right here in front of the lectern, and you could come here and drink from the chalice. So again, ministerial intinction in the center, or bread followed by your drinking from the wine. Please know, as always, receiving in one kind gives you, we offer the assurance of having received the benefits of both, uh, so that also remains available to you. You shall tithe from all the yield of your seed that comes from the field, year by year, for the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting.
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. For with your co-eternal Son and Holy Spirit, you are one God, one Lord, in trinity of persons and in unity of being. And we celebrate the one and equal glory of you, O Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. We give thanks to you, O God, for the goodness and love which you have made known to us in creation, in the calling of Israel to be your people, in your word spoken through the prophets, and above all, in the word made flesh, Jesus your Son. For in these last days you sent him to be incarnate from the Virgin Mary, to be the Savior and Redeemer of the world. In him you have delivered us from evil and made us worthy to stand before you. In him you have brought us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. On the night before he died for us, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, according to his command, O Father, we remember his death, we proclaim his resurrection, we wait his coming in glory, and we offer our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to you, O Lord of all, presenting to you from your creation this bread and this wine. We pray you, gracious God, to send your Holy Spirit upon these gifts, that they may be the sacrament of the body of Christ and his blood of the new covenant. Unite us to your Son in his sacrifice, that we may be acceptable through him being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ, 
and bring us to that heavenly country where with the ever-blessed Virgin Mary and all your saints, we may enter the everlasting heritage of your sons and daughters through Jesus Christ our Lord, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the church, and the author of our salvation. By him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. 